In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. How do you measure up? How do I? We can, and in all truth, we do use any number of criteria by which to measure ourselves. We compare ourselves with others, those we think of as our peers, perhaps, or those we look at and think, now there's a success. And we wonder, how are our finances, our relationships, our looks, our achievements, our children, our education, our homes, our vacations, measuring up compared to theirs? So much to consider, so many comparisons to be made. It used to be, back when church membership was an important part of success, that where you went to church also mattered. That's pretty much off the table, at least in the Northeast, for which I at least am grateful. But not everywhere, so you can use that one too, if you like. So we should have a little sympathy for the Pharisee praying in the temple. He is a good rule playing, law-loving Pharisee. It was his job to know the law. He was learned, well-versed, and he keeps the laws, all of them, as near as we can tell. And so to his credit, he doesn't just talk the talk, he walks the walk. He is generous, as he should be, and a sterling example to others, the kind of person others measure themselves against. Most people, frankly, don't keep all the rules, at least not as well as he does. Some don't even try and probably aren't actually sure what all the rules are. He knows how religious achievement is measured and he is at the top, the very top of the class. But when we hear this story, we are, of course, put off by him, or meant to be. In part, I think, because he forgets where he is. He has forgotten who it is he's speaking to. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, once said, though admittedly as I go through this, it's a paraphrase, that worship might be compared to theater. Perhaps you've heard this before. We can understand that. Here is this great room with seats. Here is this raised platform up here. That's certainly a stage of sorts. But what he said, which defies our expectations, is that it is you, the members of the congregation, who are actually the actors. The clergy, the choir, the readers, the acolytes are all just prompters, all just prompters. The audience is God. The audience is God. The theater analogy isn't perfect, but it does help us, I think, remember what it is we're up to when we worship. You are not spectators, and we in the chancel are not the performers. In fact, we're just here to keep everyone focused where they need to be. Rather, I think, like bridesmaids and groomsmen at weddings. Keep your eye on the couple. 
Watch what's happening there. And all we do, we all do for God, offering our praise and prayers and thanksgiving. It's a very useful image, a very helpful reminder. So while the Pharisee appears to be talking to God, it doesn't take much to realize he's actually playing to the balcony. Head up, voice booming, shoulders back. He wants everyone, including God, to be sure to see him and to recognize just how righteous he is. Well, I expect others in the temple do see that. And I even expect that God is grateful that this man says his prayers, keeps the law, and gives generously. But I expect God wants something more, maybe something else from him. More on that in just a moment. We're told both men in this story went up to the temple to pray. One performs while the other neither sees nor notices who is around him. He simply speaks to God asking for mercy. Now beating ourselves up is not what God desires or demands either. But what God does desire, what God really longs for is a relationship with us. One in which both we and God can be honest about who we are. The Pharisee is honest about his good deeds and his giving. What he fails to acknowledge, of course, is his pride. What he has failed to recognize is that all those laws he keeps, God's laws, to be sure, were given by God in order to create a community in which every member, every member, could be cared for and valued. The laws given so that the people of Israel keeping them would have the freedom to love God, love their neighbor, and by that love, be a light to the nations, to actually enlighten the world. Yet the Pharisee sees neither God nor his neighbor, except to use the neighbor as yet another measuring stick. The tax collector, because of his deep grief, is also unable to see and care for others, but he knows that. And he knows, too, that his life and his life's work as a tax collector, a functionary for the Roman oppressors, his life's work causes harm to his community and betrays both his religion and God's love for him. But he may just find his way back because he begins with self-knowledge. He knows he's a sinner. And painful as it is, it allows him to be honest about his situation as well as about himself before God. And that gives God room to act. Tax collector knows he doesn't measure up, not by anybody's standards. He knows he cannot pull himself up by his bootstraps or convince God that all's right with him and with the world. But he actually has heard or seen or experienced 
the truth that God might just love him anyway, might in fact want to hear from him. And that suggests he does know God, the God revealed to us in the law, that God revealed to us in God's love of Israel and God's determination to raise up a people for the sake of the world. The God we have come to know revealed in Jesus Christ, whose love cannot, will not be shut down even by death. The tax collector has encountered God and if he is ashamed in God's presence, he also remembers that this God to whom he speaks is full of mercy and compassion. So pity the Pharisee, because God wants more from us, wants us absolutely to abide by the laws, to be good and upstanding people, wants us absolutely to be generous with all we have. But God wants more. God wants most to have a relationship with us. Pity the Pharisee. There is no question. He knows all about God. He knows the rules. He knows the rituals. But he is the man who may see the trees but has no idea there's a forest. He is the man who can name every pigment in a painting, but cannot see the work of art that all those colors create. He leaves no room for God, believing he has no need for God's love. Pity the Pharisee. So I wanna end with a question for each of us. I think most of us here are people who say our prayers, not as often perhaps as we think we should, not as fully perhaps as we think we ought. But I would ask if in our prayers, if there is one thing, maybe two, you would prefer God not know about you. Is there one thing, maybe two, which you have never mentioned to God in your prayers. Oh, you pray for the world, for yourself, for other people. But maybe there is something or some things you have never mentioned. So I would suggest that all of us this week put aside our measuring sticks and remember that God has already taken the measure of us but we still have a gift that God longs for, to tell the truth, the whole truth, even if it means beginning, and it likely will, asking for mercy. For once we are willing to go there, then a real relationship begins. The conversation that can and always will set us to rights. We learn the tax collector went home justified. May we as well. Amen. Amen.